Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate, personal conversations with theater's biggest talents. I'm your host, Alan Seals. Today we have with us Bonnie Milligan, otherwise known across the internet as Belting Bonnie. Hello. Yes. Uh, Your credits include the first national tour of Kinky Boots. You were the original Pat in that production. You've been off-Broadway all over the place. Uh, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater, Gigantic, Jasper in the Deadland. On television, you even have recurring role of Caitlin on uh, TBS's Search Party, and then Happy on the Sci-Fi Network, and now you are, uh, after originating the role at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, you've made your Broadway debut as the amazing Pamela in Head Over Heels. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, As I'll start how I start normally with everyone here, tell me about about your childhood. Tell me about how you grew up. Where did you come from? I grew up in central Illinois. Um, in like Illinois. Illinois, exactly. Um, Decatur, Illinois, to be exact. Um, I've been to Decatur. You have? I performed, sorry to interrupt, I performed no, I it at, at Bear Creek. Um, Bear Creek? Was it Bear Creek Dinner Theater? Oh, it was in, wow, I don't know. It was in Bryant, Indiana. Indiana. It's right near Decatur. It was near Decatur. All right, fair. I don't know. I need to fact check myself. It's been a long time. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. Um, Yeah, so I grew up uh, just kind of in the farmland, you know, of America, the Great Plains. And um, I always was singing. My dad was a preacher, and I grew up in the church kind of always singing as soon as I could talk. And when I was 10 years old, I got the lead in a school play. And then I decided, oh, I'm going to be an actress. What was the play? It was, I can't remember the title of it, but I was an elf that saved Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Like something held up Santa. And it was one of those, it was a really small school. So there would be like 25 to 30 kids in a grade. Mm -hmm. So all of the grade school, like K through four, would sit in bleachers on the side in the school gym. And the fifth graders were on stage being the actors. But all of the songs were sung by like the rest of the school. (laughs) It was really, you know. You know, really top-notch art. Did you get the acting Um, bug back then? And I did. I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And I have all these old, like, journals from when I was a kid that are so dramatic that are like, I'm trapped in central Illinois and, you know, my life is so pathetically dry and I want to be an actress and just, like, so dramatic. You know you need to write your first cabaret show (laughs) based on those those journal entries. Well, I do have a show coming up at... Birdland, actually, November 26th. So oh, yeah? We're doing a show. Yeah. So November 26th, everyone go. go see Bonnie. Come. At the Bird, at Birdland Jazz Club. It's on 45th, right? 44th. 44th, yeah. 
Um, and then, it, so that was, sing. did you sing as the elf? When did you know you could start to sing? Well, I think, cause, well, I always sang. So it, it was one of those that um, my, my parents met when my dad was the new lead singer of the Southern Gospel Group my mom was the pianist for. So they were always singing. Um, and we would do like specials in church and I loved it right away. I have an older brother and he has a great voice, but he would always be like, Meh, over it. And I'd be like, great, give me his verses. Um, <laughs> so I, um, it was something that I kind of always did and always loved doing was singing. And, and then the, the roles that you've taken uh, from what I've seen, they always had to have, or they, they've had some sort of comedic element yeah. to them. Yeah. It, it, how, where did you get that part of your personality from? Um, I don't know. You know, my dad's a funny guy. He was always kind of, he always was joking and, um, I, you know, he's, he's an, 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 I cannot talk, an entertainer. And, um, so I think that's where I kind of first learned, um, comedy and making people laugh and, um, then, you know, people <laughs> liking you when I kind of got, like, I was around, 10 when I kind of, I don't know if it's like baby weight that all of a sudden hits at 10, but I got a little bit chubbier and I didn't want to be made fun of. So I thought I'll be the funny kid and then people will like me and I'll be popular that way. And um, so I kind of did self-deprecating humor at like 10 years old, but I did. And then I became popular because I was fun to be around. So um, it started then for sure when I was like a a kid kid. And then, you know, the people that I look up to are the strong character actress comedians, you know, like Carol Burnett, Madeline Kahn. Um, uh, I love, you know, just strong, funny, hilarious women in, in musical theater world, you know, like Faith Prince, Beth Level, um, Deb Monk, all the good ones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy, I, I actually saw Beth in the, in the prom uh, very oh, yeah, recently, just oh, blew me away. She's you, hilarious. You need to go see that. Maybe yeah. someone can can help you out with that. There you go. Um, but I want to touch back on. You said you're doing self self deprecating humor. Yeah. And then you know I, I'm going to touch on this later on in the podcast here as well of about giving representation to plus size women. Yeah. But um, when you did start start to say you put on weight, did that like did who you change? Uh, how am I supposed? How am I trying to ask ask this? Um, I guess the, your, your view of yourself, did that change on your own or did it change as a response to how people were, did, were they treating you any differently? I don't think so. I mean, again, I came from a really small town, you know, so it wasn't a lot of people, the town didn't have much money. We certainly didn't have much money. I grew up in like a double wide trailer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I always knew that there were, were things that, you know, I, I hated the trailer. I hated that, but it was something that I was always provided for. Um, nobody kind of, there was a, like one time I had a friend kind of jab at me for it. Like they wanted to come to my place and like, well, you're the only one that has a license plate on your house mm. and always being kind of aware of it. But, um, so there were certain things like that. And my parents both struggled with their weight. So I remember thinking that was sort of my lot in life. Mm -hmm. And I even look back at pictures of myself and I wasn't even all that big, especially through the years of when I hit high school. And I think you're so beautiful. And I did not see it because I wore clothes that had two numbers, not one. And everybody else had one number. So it was that 
always making sure that I was in charge of um, my story. And if it was going to be funny, then I was going to make it funny. And you're not laughing at me. You're laughing with me mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And I remember, you know, even as I got older, different friends would be like, Bonnie, you're not fat. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, whatever, you know. Um, so that was kind of that was there from the beginning and watching how my dad did that about himself and how he spoke and made jokes about being the big guy and then everybody thinking he was so hilarious and so fun. So that's where I kind of saw it early. And then as a as a preacher though, did he incorporate that into into his <laughs> into what he was saying? <laughs> yeah, I think it would be like, you know, he always had jokes. He's uh a really funny guy. So his messages, that's where a lot of people actually liked. He kind of traveled around and he would guest um, do sermons and stuff. And um, people always liked having him because he was really funny and relatable and um, a really kind of down to earth guy Mm. um, that loved everybody he ever met and, you know, was just a nice guy. So I, I kind of took that example of also being kind about everybody around me and embracing everybody around me and um, trying to make everyone feel comfortable. Um, yeah. So you were a 10-year-old elf. and <laughs> Georgian, yeah. Yes, Georgian. And you said, I want to be on Broadway. Yeah. And did everybody say, all right, let's help you? Or were you like, were they saying, there's no way you're going to get there? Well, Like, it started off, so then once I decided this is what I'm going to do, I started thinking about what can I do locally, (laughs) you know? I don't know where all of this came from. But I would remember looking in the paper and being like, Mom, can we go to this audition? And um, somebody, I don't remember how I got involved with this um, summer program that Decatur did called the Best of Summer Stock, which B-O-S-S, boss, and they're... Millican University is in town, and they have it's kind of like a show choir they call the Park Singers. And they ran this program where it was just essentially musical theater camp for kids, but kind of show choir camp in a different way. And so I started doing that. And, you know, my grandma paid for me to go and she would mm-hmm. take me every day. And um it was really great. And that's how I kind of also got involved in like the local children's theater there. And um and then, you know, they got me into musical theater camp for when I got a little bit older. Um, and then as soon as I could drive, I was doing, like, community theater productions as well as my school productions. So I was, like, always doing a show. And I think, you know, my my mom especially was always just somebody that was, like, just said yes and was, like, okay. And never said that's not going to happen for you. Um was just kind of let me have, like, the big dreams and let me do all the things along the way, which was really great. And, you know, especially coming from a really small town, everybody's like, well, you're really talented and kind of, I think, had hopes for it. But nobody said that's not going to happen for you. wasn't really until later in college when it got a little bit like some voices of it's going to be hard for you because of your weight and you might not make it. That it, but it took a while for me to kind of hear that because mm-hmm. um, people were pretty um, encouraging along the way as I was growing up. So you said in college people started, I guess, trying to reality check you for yeah. a lack of, of, of a better phrase. Um, did that dissuade you at all or were you like, screw you guys, I'm going to do this anyway? You know, I there was one um, incident that happened. It was with um, somebody that just meant a lot to me, and it was like over drinks that had said, um, it's not going to happen for you. And 
this person is who I really, really looked up to. And so I was devastated. And the next day they were very like, I'm so sorry. It was, it was the vodka. And I don't think that, but it was like, what, why would you say that? And, you know, I, I, I forgave her and I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it wasn't an honestly until years later, I really realized what those words had planted in me. This like idea of that was a premonition, like a truth rather than like an opinion of somebody that I, you're like, okay, whatever. I'm different and it's going to be different for me. That someone that I, I trusted with everything that said, and cause said it with, I love you. And this is why I'm telling you this of, um, fear. And of course there was all the insecurities that you have inside yourself anyway, that that fed into that I think kind of snowballed that first when I moved to New York, you know, I, I didn't really go for things like I think maybe I would have, and who knows, like maybe I always would have been a little scared and not, you know, gone for it as much. Cause I didn't have a leg up, like, uh, a lot of these college programs to, um, you have a showcase in New York and that means agents and people come and see you. And we didn't have one of those because mine was a liberal arts degree from Ohio state that focused in acting, not musical theater. And I loved my program. Um, I begrudgingly went in the first place because they gave me all my money. And again, I didn't have any money growing up. So, um, it, it was one of those things that wasn't honestly, it was like four or five years after I'd moved to the city that I realized, oh my gosh, like I haven't been doing this. And I didn't realize what those words really did mean to me that I, and I, that was kind of a devastating thing to realize what I had allowed to permeate my like self-worth and um, confidence. So I kind of got into therapy to start thinking like, how can I find that girl again that loved herself and believed in herself? Or did that part of me die? Or can I find it again? Or just find a way to move on from it? And um, I can't recommend therapy enough because no, me, me neither. it's I, just, I mean. It's so helpful. It is. Yeah. Life's hard. So, you know. Especially New York life. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So you said you were here for, for five, four or five years yeah. before. And so when did you move to New York, though? Uh, 2008. 2008. Okay. So that was 10 years ago. Yeah. And then when did, I guess, when did the the first workshop for Head Over Heels kind of fall your way? That came four years ago. So that came in 2014. We did the very first reading of Head Over Heels. It was here in the city? It was, yeah. And then, okay, so you did the reading here and yeah. then it got success at an Oregon festival? Yeah. So then they did the world premiere a year later in 2015 at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And so I had, after the reading, I uh, booked the first national tour of Kinky Boots. So I left town and did the Kinky Boots national tour when I heard it's going to happen at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. <laughs> and you're like, okay. So I put myself on tape because you, it's a, a rep company, which you just, you like, you know, you have, you don't just do one show. You do at least two, if not three. Mm-hmm. So I had to audition and, um, and then I got the part. So I left the Kinky Boots tour um, at the very end of March and I went out to um, Oregon and I uh, was out there for six and a half months where we um, developed and worked on it and performed it for like four and a half months in rep. And 
I guess I'm putting this into perspective for people who may not know about the show or might not have seen it. Uh, uh, a show that is on Broadway that has so much unique representation that we haven't seen before premiering at a Shakespearean yeah. festival. because it, It's a jukebox musical of Go-Go's music. Mm-hmm. Why, is it, why did it work for Shakespeare, I guess, is... What, our uh, yeah. our book is um, a lot of it's an iambic pentameter. It's mostly a free verse or iambic pentameter, so it sounds a little bit more what you would think of Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. And there's many Shakespearean tropes. You know, it feels like one of his comedies. Um, you know, Midsummer, where you have people in the forest meeting lovers and mistaken identity and kind of magic and um, all that. It's Elizabethan within. costumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of a, an Elizabethan sex romp um, mashup with a book. It's based on Sir Philip Sidney's Arcadia, which was in the 1580s. So you have a book from the 1580s with the music of the 1980s, and somehow it works. Well, speaking of sex romp, I want to sidetrack real quick and yeah. talk about Cuff Me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> The Fifty Shades of Grey musical yes. parody yes. off Broadway in 2013. Yeah. I I don't know if I had the I, I call it the pleasure of seeing it. I, was it? Uh, did you enjoy that? It what was, was that? Such a fu- it was my off Broadway yeah. debut. It was the first thing um, that I had done off Broadway, and it was so fun and ridiculous. There were four of us actors, um, and uh, you know, two people that played. Anna and Christian, and then the other two of us that were kind of the clowns that we did. We were two New Jersey housewives, like we're reading about the book <laughs> in a nail salon. It was an old woman trying to buy like supplies. And, you know, I was her inner monologue and um, her roommate. And it was one of those crazy like 80-minute shows where you just go, go, go. And they parodied pop songs. And I would have like four costumes on at one point because I was like in a you know onesie with things underneath and mm-hmm. things underneath to make a quick change. And it was just one of those shows where it was so fast and furious and they allowed a lot of kind of improv. And I love that improv nature. I'm just really having fun. And I did it with really funny people. So we would have a lot of like the middle-aged Jersey ladies coming in. That was really our crowd. And we did it at the Actors Temple, um, which is funny because it's an active temple, um, doing Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Cuff me. Oh, like a religious temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It also doubles as like a theater. Would, that, would you consider that your weirdest job? I mean, that was a pretty crazy job. Yeah. I think that was... Yeah, and we toured it a couple times. We went to Texas. We went to Florida. Texas. We went to Boston. Yeah. For like a week. You would just go and do like a week of shows. Um, And it was really funny and really crazy. We were at like the Boston Opera House doing Cuff Me. (laughs) I kid you not. (laughs) I just imagine these pent-up housewives that are just coming in and being like, don't tell my husband that I'm here, but I'm really enjoying this. A lot of bachelorette parties. It was a good time. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure that's incredible. Um, so getting back on track. Yeah. Um, October 21st, 2018, Head Over Heels was the 100th post-opening performance. Yeah. Um, and and I, I found a quote online of something else you said once. You said, many scoffed that we wouldn't even make it to here. Proud to be taking down the patriarchy, rejecting the binary, exploring the gender spectrum, representing so many and celebrating queerness on Broadway. 
what does what does all of this like all of this behind the show it's so unique it's so representative of things we don't see what does this all mean to you like you the person i think it's it feels like an important responsibility to show people themselves that have never seen themselves that are especially in this world right now with this administration um there are so many attacks especially on the lgbtqia community and it's devastating and it's so hard and i meet so many people at the stage door that are especially young queer kids and non-binary kids that are just like sobbing saying i never thought i would hear they pronouns like in a broadway show and what we're doing is celebrating um queerness and celebrating um finding your true authentic self and identity and embracing it and embracing acceptance uh, for other people. And I think it's a message we need right now in this world that day by day feels scarier mm-hmm. and uh, harder to think, oh, how are people letting this happen? And so to feel like we're on stage <clears throat> showing the cis white hetero man be taught a lesson by a powerful trans person of color saying, you're no, like you need to stop doing what you're doing because you're going down a bad path of like chaos and destruction. And because we're set in Elizabethan kind of a time period, it feels like a fairy tale and it feels far enough away that um, you can embrace this magic and this ideal situation of this man actually learning his lesson Mm -hmm. and feeling like he needs to change. And having... Even in that, me, the big girl on stage, being the beautiful princess and everyone on stage saying you are, there's this, um, we're empowering this like body positivity, this um, rejecting the binary saying one of the other characters, he kind of finds uh, gender fluidity in the show and embraces that. And there are things that it's just like people want to get hung up on these things, especially like the president. And it's insane to me. And I love that we get to celebrate the beautiful spectrum of souls that inhabit this earth. And I think it's important. And I think it's somehow dangerous for us to go that far to embrace all these people. And it's too much. And that's why I was talking about people thinking, oh, they'll never get this far because they're just, they're being, they're being so inclusive and Mm -hmm. it's frustrating. And so it, delights me to be able to do this eight times a week and to it feels like a responsibility to celebrate people that aren't celebrated and that in fact fear their livelihoods are at stake and at risk and to say we love you here and we celebrate you um beyond allowing you to be here you're a part of this world and it's you know loved and also normalized in a way too it's not you know, just to have it there, we we love and appreciate the people that inhabit yeah. our world. And I, I was just thinking about your your father. You said he was very religious, obviously. Yeah. Um, a preacher. Did uh, did you hear? Did I guess I grew up in a small town where there was a. It was the middle of Bible Belt, North Carolina. Yeah. There's a Southern Baptist church on every corner, and because I didn't go to church with somebody's daughter I wasn't allowed to date them and mm. like everybody different was yeah. just wrong did did you, so this is my own past coming back to yeah. to I guess color my question but did you 
Does your father support any of these views? Do you guys agree? Like, is he, is he open-minded when... In, he like, is open-minded. What's, you, you know, the thing that is amazing that I, I, I do feel fortunate about, like, with my, my parents and especially my mom, is um, I, I saw what, when, what you, if you look at Christianity and, like, Jesus and stuff, he, to me, it was very, like, liberal. And that's what, like, a lot of problems he had. And I'm not very religious myself. Um, I do believe in God and all of that. But I look at my mom, who acts like actually a Christian, and she loves everyone. And, you know, we went to go vote Hillary together. <laughs> and um, she actually acts with that kind open heart. And that's one thing that I never, growing up, I never saw my dad um, rejecting anyone or putting his nose up to anyone or saying they're not right for this and that. I saw a lot of people in the church do that. Yeah. And that's what I have a problem with religion and the hypocrisy of so much, especially right now that's happening. And I, I don't know. I can't say what my dad votes. You know what I mean? Um but I know how I've watched him act, and I hope that, you know, it, it's hard because I think politics right now, it's put a good amount of distance between me and a, and a fair amount of family that I love dearly, that I know what your heart is. And I don't know. He never told me who he voted for, which makes me think, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, so I, I can only say that— <sighs> I don't know. It, it's what how you act, and so much of that hypocrisy is what I have a problem with. But I know that I learned compassion and love, and um, he embraced everyone he ever met. Um, yeah, which is how I've tried to live. And again, like I said, if you're looking for real Christian <laughs> ways, that's what you're supposed to be doing right. is love thy neighbor. Right. And, you know. People have told me, when I've told them that kind of feeling of mine before, they've said, like, you, you're more Buddhist mm. than anything. Because, yeah. yeah, Buddhism is more of just, you know, loving loving yourself, loving everyone yeah. around you, and just, you know, being nice yeah. in general. And we need a lot more of that, Ugh, obviously, yeah. right now. But, you know, speaking of the current uh, administration, um, the show Head Over Heels, uh, you said it, it's evolved over the last four years, so it, it was conceived years before our current administration yeah. ever, <clears throat> you know, got to, you know, the president, before the president we had, before he right. even announced he was going to run for president. Um, but the message obviously was being cooked already. Yeah. And, and then our, you know, Trump is just bringing all this to the forefront of our, mm -hmm. of our minds to talk about. But um, how have you seen the show evolve over the last four years? And did it, change at all that you know of in response to our current administration? For sure. Yeah? For sure. Um, we, the Oracle was um, a much more kind of separate character. There was no, excuse me, um, no name Pythio, which is um, what we have now. There was, the, the Oracle was not non-binary, uh, was not secretly, um, connected to other characters. I don't want to ruin the plot. Um, that wasn't there. And there was, um, the, the stuff that was there was Musidorus does have a speech at the end about embracing both female and male in him. That was always there. 
And there used to be a section of, in a meeting I have with uh, my sister and everybody, I, I kind of called to arms about fighting for our right to marry. Um, for, um, turns out I'm a lesbian. So, uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler. Um, and so that was all part of it. And I remember being in Oregon the day that um, the same sex marriage, uh, what was it? The, that happened, not the amendment, the, the 2015, it was, it got passed. Like it was all across the nation, like same sex marriage. Um, and I remember saying, uh, to fight for our right to marry. And we had to hold for the applause because it was just like this beautiful, it had happened while here I was talking about it. May, May 19th, 2014, it was officially recognized in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I remember being like, yes. And there were things that, you know, then a couple of years down the line, then um, Michael Mayer became our director mm -hmm. and brought a new team in. So we were kind of retooling things a couple of years ago. I remember that was one of the first things he was like, I want to make sure we're current. I want to, the, the idea of like fighting for marriage feels a little dated. And um, I, and it was, he started the idea of relooking at Pythio. And now we have a new adapter, James Magruder. And so the two of them really wanted to um, change that and, and bring up another kind of thing in the forefront. And so that, that started in, um, I guess it would have been October-ish of 2016. We did another reading and um, things started to change from there mm -hmm. and um, to, to the product that we have now. That's, that's, uh, that's incredible. I always love hearing the origin stories of the shows themselves. Yeah. I mean, everything's got its own origin story. Yeah. Um, and I love that uh, the Oracle played by Peppermint, yes. who uh, from RuPaul's Drag Race, um, and then she is the first trans woman openly on trans openly woman. trans woman on Broadway, right? The first openly trans woman to originate a principal role on Broadway. Yes, it's a mouthful, but yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she is is phenomenal. Have the two of you kind of? Uh, I mean, the show is getting so much attention now, and and both of you are getting so much attention. And have you guys sort of ever taken each other aside and been like, "Holy crap, what are <laughs> what are our lives now?" Well, what I love is it's both of our Broadway debuts, yeah. so it's kind of it's fun to kind of be. Um, in that together, and we both believe in, you know, the message of the show right now and the importance of the representation that we're giving. So it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. And is this, is this kind of what you had expected? You know, the 10-year-old girl, you're like, I'm going to be on Broadway and I'm going to be doing podcast interviews <laughs> and I'm going to be singing on the morning show. And... You know, no. <laughs> um, it's definitely... Glorious and wonderful, but it, it's funny that, you know, it's hard work, and I've never been so exhausted in my life, I'll tell you that much. Um, but it's also amazing and exhilarating, and sometimes you just are like, oh, I'm just doing my show, and other times it kind of strikes you, oh, I'm on Broadway right now, you know, and um, it doesn't go past me how important, like, the show is, but also, like, the step in life that here I am and it, it actually happened. It's it's funny to like have the different people 
throughout my past reaching out to me. Now, you know, I just had like an, a high school friend come into town with um, her husband and they came, to, she came to the show and we were like, she was like, I always knew. And it was just like really sweet and cool. And I'm like, wow, you know, and we'd taken a trip when we were like 16 years old to the city together. And here we were, she was watching me on a Broadway stage and we saw our very first Broadway show together. Oh, really? So what was um, your first show? Rent. Nice. Yeah. That was a good, I think that was my first show too. <gasps> nice. Came up in high school. Yeah, I saw Rent and I saw Aida that trip. Yep. Yeah, that was the same time. Yeah. I saw Les Mis. It was Rent and Les Mis, I think I saw that trip. You talked earlier about um, some of the feedback or the 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 people coming up and commenting mm -hmm. to you uh, outside the stage door afterwards. Um, generally, uh, what kind of feedback are you getting overall f sp specifically for you and then generically for the show? Um, I definitely get a lot of, um, just the other night, uh, a girl, you know, came up to me and she was a bigger girl and curly hair. And she's like, I just, I can't tell you what it means for me to see someone who looks like me on stage and, um, and that you're being called beautiful. And it just, and she just had tears in her eyes. She's like, it just means a lot. It means a lot. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people that I've met that too, that beyond size or whatever have clearly been told they're probably not enough in society for whatever reason it is. Yeah. And the amount of them that says, um, how much it means to them to hear me sing the song beautiful right off the top of the bat, which is just me talking about how beautiful I am, <laughs> um, <laughs> means a lot. And that's something that you know, on days where I'm, if I've had a bad day or a rough day or whatever, you don't feel great about yourself, which happens to all of us. Um, that's what I remember. And why I, then I'm like, nope, we can't do that on stage because that is not Pamela. That is not her. She does not have that insecurity um, because the whole world has told her her whole life how beautiful she is. So it is just fact. There's no you're like, well, yep, yeah, that's, I know, that's all I am, I'm gorgeous. And, <laughs> you know, and she's dealing with a day of having to meet suitors, which she hates. And so it's kind of her way of like. Male suitors. Yes, exactly. Yes. And of her being like, well, like, I am beautiful. And just like returning to what she knows to be true. You know how some people say, like, if you're freaking out, stop and be like, what day of the week is it? Where are you? You're in a room. You're okay. So her version of coping is, I am beautiful. My life is perfect. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, which is hilarious. But that's really her like talking herself down from like, oh, God, these men are coming again. I hate it. You know. And how much of, of Pamela is you versus like what you've created? How much, how much of Bonnie is inside Pamela? Emily. Oh, there's so much. There's a lot of the, like, the pre, you know, judgmental voices that tore Bonnie down uh, before. There's a lot of early Bonnie, Pamela, in uh, Pamela. And, um, I mean, a lot of the rhythms of things and, you know, how I speak a lot of things is very much me. Um, yeah, so. You speak in iambic pentameter. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> And the the band is all female, yes. so that's that's unique to that. And then the I, I don't want to give away spoilers. The the king or the the queen something ha happens to her. She becomes something. I don't want to give away the thing. <laughs> um, so speaking of, uh, it's very female uh, empowerment. Yes, it's yes. Hugely the, the, female. the message. It's very, um, yeah. 
Here's Very female it's strong. body positivity, as you said, female empowerment, like promoting promoting uh, queer individuals on stage. And you are also very outspoken about trans rights mm-hmm. um, on your social accounts as well. Uh, do you feel, uh, I mean, is, again, is that based on um, kind of the show you're in and the position you're in now? Or would you be, are, is Bonnie, like, are you, are you an activist outside of Head Over Heels, outside of Broadway? I definitely am outside of there. I've, I was always that kid that I remember, um, you know, saying stuff to my mom and like tear filled eyes of just and I think theater immediately like in small town I met more diverse people than in my small small town in Ohio or Illinois that I could um then I I when you meet more people and you realize there's a bigger world outside of your own experience it is like your duty to be a voice for others that don't have a voice like to be an ally and I learned that at a young age and if anybody would say something about someone, I, I would think, why would you why would you say that? And so especially moving to New York and everywhere, there's, you know, there's everybody and that you could think of like religion, color, sex, gender, you know, sexuality, all these different identities in this world that we ride the subway together every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, you stand on a platform next to all these people. And so why? Are your rights more important than theirs? And I now having a platform, I think I should use it. Like the people that don't, it kind of baffles me. Like if you have hundreds of thousands of followers and you're a star of a Broadway show and you don't have anything to say about all these shootings and all these things that the president's saying and White House doctoring videos and, you know, trans rights being um, – you know, possibly taken away and uh, you, you should say something. And if you don't say anything, like, what are you doing? And I, I don't, I don't understand. And there are people that don't, and I, I don't have that many followers, but I'll do what I can and I'll use the voice I can. And I will try to spread a message of love and light and acceptance and to say that if you're feeling scared, I don't know what I can do, but I'll do all I can to fight for you. And you know, you you think of – you look at history and you look at <clears throat> when we talk about the Holocaust. And I remember being in high school and thinking, how could people let that happen? Like even if you – how? How could you let that happen? Or you look back at civil rights and you're like, why were people letting this happen? And I feel like we're closer to that, you know, now. And I think, well, I'm not just going to sit back and be complacent because it doesn't affect me. I'm going to use my voice in any way that I can. And if I'm called upon, then I'll do whatever I can because I think that's my right, not my right, my, um, what I need to do as a human being is what we all should do is stick up for each other because the world needs all the array of people that we have. It's shitty if you just (laughs) don't. (laughs) Like you need to like be a decent human being and that's the only way we can come towards change. And when that, you know, New York Times article came out about Trump trying to define gender as your genitalia at birth and all of these steps towards trans erasure. You know, I I was texting with Peppermint, who is a dear friend and colleague and star and a human being who's in fear for her rights. And it's not okay. And why, what hatred causes people to be scared of Peppermint? 
who's the sweetest, nicest, kindest, most open, loving human. And you're really going to fight for her to what? I just, it just blows my mind. And so, yeah. It seems like it's all based in, in fear. In fear. And unknown. And, and I, I, I think like you and I had very similar paths, um, around the middle school, high school age of growing up in these, being in these small towns, but because we were involved with theater, the theater kids are always such this eclectic bunch of differences. Yeah. And so I, I felt, I felt the exact same way. I, I, I was also the computer nerd, so I had a double whammy. Before yeah. computer nerds were cool, <laughs> computer nerd and theater nerd. Yeah. So I got picked on a lot. Mm. And I was super skinny. Yeah. And <laughs> you give me a big pouty face. Um, well, I probably got bullied. <laughs> yeah, I did. I yeah. did. And and so it, it's never it's never made sense to me why why anybody wants to purposely make somebody else feel like that. Mm-mm. And I, I just don't get it. I think it's fear. And I, and the people that I know, especially from back home, home being North Carolina, um, who I, I've actually, same with me, I've actually lost some, some of my older friends and parents of friends yeah. because they're just so like, well, this is right because I'm white. Mm-hmm. And like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Oh. It doesn't make a damn bit of sense. Anyway, here we are. Who do you think you would actually be if you hadn't been part of Head Over Heels? Who would Bonnie be? Who would Bonnie be? Um, an actress looking for a job. <laughs> 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 I probably would have done the Kinky Boots tour a lot longer. Um, I meant more more emotion, emotionally, <laughs> emotionally or, or yeah, in oh, wow. inner image. So um, I, I imagine Pamela has allowed you to to. Like, accept your own beauty, as you said. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, my life would be a lot sadder, (laughs) I think. Um, It's, I feel like I've I've learned so much in this process of, you know, the show and being the only person to have been with it from the beginning and riding that roller coaster. I've learned so much. um, And I've met such amazing people that are so integral and important in my life that I, I just can't imagine like the woman who played my mom in Oregon is one of my dearest, dearest friends. And she's kind of like my theater mom. Mm-hmm. So she's really my mentor in a lot of ways. And, uh, God, I can't imagine life without Miriam. She has kept me <laughs> off the ledge in so many ways. Um, yeah, it would be a lot, a lot sadder. Yeah. Wow. What do you think you're the most proud of so far in your career? Your career is actually, your Broadway career is just starting. You will have many more decades. (laughs) But what are you proud of so far? I mean, I'm really proud of this. I'm really proud of this show um, and what we're doing and the album that we got to make. I mean, that's a lot of bucket list stuff that I've gotten to do with this show. Um, And the lives that I feel like we're really changing. Um, I'm very proud of that. And if you could pick any role in a show to just in general, you could say, I want that role. Give it to me now. What would you pick? <laughs> I want that role. Give it to me now. Um, oh, gosh. I feel like existing things. So I always say, I mean, they're doing, they're bringing here. I'm sure they're using their West End girl, but I've always wanted to do female Bobby and company. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, and then just a quick plug for you as we're wrapping up here. You will uh, – 
When, when are you going to do Escape at Danimora? And what is yes. that? Okay, so it's a new miniseries that's coming out on Showtime that Ben Stiller directed. I've heard of him. Um, it's, you know, he's an up-and-comer. Yeah. Um, they have uh, an amazing cast. It's led by Benicio Del Toro and Paul Dano. They play um, a few years, I think it was 2015, there were two prison escapees up in the Finger Lakes, up at Danamora. So that's what this is about. And Patricia Arquette plays the corrections officer who helps them escape. And David Morse, um, Bonnie Hunt, one of my personal heroes. We didn't have any scenes, but the fact that we're in, in an episode at the same time, pretty pretty jazzed about. <laughs> so your filming's all done already? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I filmed it last year. So I, I did two episodes. There's eight total. Um, I play a waitress named Bitsy. And Bitsy. <laughs> yeah. It was great. It was, it was crazy. Um, you know, it was really cool. I got to go and stay at Lake George overnight and go, to, you know, on a set with Ben Stiller all day. That was pretty, pretty That's awesome. Fine. So it comes out November 18th. It premieres. November 18th, this year, 2018? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then we have three standard questions yes. that I ask everybody okay. to wrap up. Very generically, what motivates you? What motivates me? Um, I think the desire to share light and um, love in this world. What advice would you give to your young... Wait. Just give me a face. Do you want to, do you want to answer that again? No. 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 Oh. What is it? That's nice. Your publicist Sorry. is with us here. Yeah. Um, let's see. So the other, second question then. What advice would you give to your younger self and or younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? I think... Um, for people, I'd say hold on to who you are. This is a tough biz and a tough world. Who's kidding who? Um, and what makes you different is what makes you special. And the world deserves your voice. So don't cheat the world and um, just stay grounded. And that's different for everybody. It could be your family, your friends, your faith, your who knows, your motivation. <laughs> um, but be kind and be someone that people want to work with and just, again, hold hold on to what makes you you and don't forget it. And then last question. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? <gasps> what? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. If I could see one show, but as many. That is so hard. Oh, how dare you. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, I feel like I I never saw it, but I wanted to see it live was like the original cast of Ragtime. Oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love, like, original cast of Ragtime. That, like, album is everything. Oh, my gosh. You know what I've also been listening to recently? And I lived for it. Was disaster that happened yes. a couple years ago. If I wanted, so if I wanted one like art sake that, but if I could have two, the other would be disaster because it just I saw it three times. It made me so happy, and the album is still so good. And mm -hmm. it just it makes me laugh. And it's just yeah, that's well, what I would do. Thank you for being here. Thank we can you. find you on Twitter at Belting Bonnie, on Instagram at Belting Bonds. Yeah, it's a little more casual. <laughs> more, more casual yeah. on the Instas. Um, and anything else, YouTube or 
Yeah, Anywhere I'm. All, I mean, I'm all yeah. over. Yeah. The YouTube. Oh right, yes, I'm all over um, YouTube. I'm also uh, on Search Party on TBS. Yep. Um, I play Catherine Chantal's sister, and I just shot for season three too, which is coming out. They're filming now, mm-hmm. um, so look for that on TBS. And uh, yeah. Wonderful. That's life. And Wonderful. then Birdland, you know, November 26th. That's right. And then you can find more of me and the theater podcast at theater underscore podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter or facebook.com slash official theater podcast. You can also listen and subscribe via theater, the theater podcast.com. Please give an honest review everywhere you get your real podcasts. Uh, of course, we are produced here by Jillian Hockman. And a big thank you, as always, to Jukebox the Ghost for this music you hear underneath us right now. Bonnie Milligan, thank you so much for talking thank you. today. Come see Head Over Heels at yes, the Hudson. It's, it's so a good. good time. I promise you'll leave feeling much lighter than when you came in. Thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.